Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. Welcome back to Dan, who is back from his trip to L.A., and welcome to you, all our listeners, to another episode of Awesome Etiquette. Our podcast comes to you from the studios of Vermont Public Radio and is a part of the Infinite Guest Network from American Public Media. I'm Lizzie Post. And I'm Dan Post-Senning from the Emily Post Institute. Dan's back in town. And thank you so much for that welcome back. I missed you. I love our office, but you are like my counterpart here in my partner in crime. And I literally, the number of times I walked into your office and was like, oh yeah, there's nobody to talk to. (laughs) Hey, Dan's geranium. How's it going? Hi, Dan's fish. How's it going? No, that was over in Steven's office. So, so Mm. your fish actually had like someone to hang with, Uh, but. Well, it's good to be back and having not planned this at all, I was going to say something very similar to you. And it was fun for me. Um, There I am in Los Angeles having a great time. The wedding was awesome. We managed to get out to the beach for a day, up to the mountains for a day. We got spa treatments. Think L.A. And that was the the, the most excellent vacation that I was having. Um, We stopped by the American Public Media Studios in Los Angeles, visited Rico from the dinner party download. He sends his best. They absolutely love you out there. Had so much fun. Really good trip. But also it was travel and I felt like I was away and abroad. It's and a good feeling, when right? this podcast dropped on Monday, it oh, brought me just a little bit closer to home. It was to really nice to to download. And I was sort of looking for that free moment when I'd get to listen to it and, and, <laughs> and just hear a familiar voice and be reminded about the the things I enjoy back home. So. As, as did, I'm sure, my expletive-filled text messages to you when I found out that Jimmy Graham got traded to the Seahawks. Well, there, yes, there was some trauma. The I definitely agency period I, was I difficult for all of us. texted Dan, <laughs> I, am, I am not texting you about work. Call me immediately <laughs> with lots of four-letter words that are inappropriate for our show. Sorry. It happens even to etiquette experts. He was like, my favorite player ever since Darren Sproles left. And so it was like each year the Saints are ripping a little part of my heart out. But Blockbuster trade. I was looking at it from the other end, just a little bit fearful. Seattle's looking so good. I wish John Moe much enjoyment as he is a Seahawks fan watching my Jimmy Graham. Um, let's talk about your trip a little bit because uh, this was kind of a preview. You went to a big Indian wedding and you are about to host in two months time, which reminds me I need to order my sorry. Um, a big <laughs> Indian wedding. Tell me about it. It was uh, a lot of fun. As you would expect, a wedding is a wedding is a wedding. You should also know right now, listeners, that I am looking like Dan left here looking super like mountainy and all of that. And he's come back. He's like his, his beard is 
super trimmed, like real clean cut, straight <laughs> edges. His hair's got like he looks like he just came from LA. A little flush, a little ruddy you flush. Look, you got some color. You looking good. All right. Aww. Indian wedding. What what do you feel now as you get ready for your own? Um, it's gonna be fun. It's gonna be awesome. I was particularly interested in the ceremony itself. The 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 part of the wedding that you're just not gonna YouTube and find out about. And it's not a short ceremony. The the short version of the Hindu ceremony can last an hour, 45 minutes to an hour. And that's a truncated version. And Note to sort self. of the most common current version. <laughs> I was really curious about it. There's a lot of ritual and pageant to it. And I Aren't found there seven things that happen. Am I thinking that's correct? There, there's a, an element of the ceremony that involves walking around the fire seven times. That's what I, that's where I got the number. It's sometimes that. equated to the vows. Okay. And you make your vows explicit and they there are these seven promises that you make to each other. And so beautiful. I'm I know up. it's really sweet. <laughs> um, well, you're going to you're going to get to see. I it. know. Um, I'm going to be Miss Waterworks. And I'm going to get to do it. And uh, actually, I was really impressed with the groom. He yeah. was he was humble. He was the center of attention. He wasn't always comfortable in that role. He was an absolute sweetheart. Um, and uh, I definitely watched him for some cues and was. Did he walk in on the elephant? Did they no. do that procession? <laughs> no, What's they, it they, called? It's, it's called a barat. Barat. And it's the, the groom's family arrives as an entourage. Traditionally, it was the groom's family arriving at the bride, often the bride's village. And the groom would present himself like a royal prince, would arrive riding a white horse or an elephant. These days, sometimes it's a convertible I'm or like, a motorcycle. But totally picturing that scene and in Aladdin in my and head. people yeah. dancing. <laughs> it's 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 not the same culture, but it's yeah same exactly idea, yeah. The, this processional this arrival. Um, the barat was fun. No horse, no elephant. So what did he come <laughs> um, in on? Uh, it was there was there Foot? was there was dancing and oh what, dancing. Uh, it's like a second line in New Orleans. I'm not. Yes, probably. <laughs> oh God, Dan, I really need to take <laughs> you down there. I know my Mardi Gras is okay. so bad. It's <laughs> <laughs> not even Mardi Gras. It's just like every week. <laughs> so one of the other big parts of the barat is the bride's mother receives the groom. Oh. So the, the groom comes and knocks on the door of the bride's home. He's received by the bride's mother. And Are we going to do all this at Pooja's house? We're going to do all this, yes. Oh, my God. Yeah. The one other thing I just want to mention, because we'll, we'll, we'll get more into this as, as the months go on here. Yeah. It gets closer and closer, two and a half months now. Um, the attire. Yeah. Pooch was beautiful. She was absolutely stunning. Because uh, you saw her. This is your first time seeing Pooja in a sari, right? Yes. Yeah. And the sari she wore Saturday night to the final dinner was absolutely elegant. You could have wore it to any black tie affair I like that what anywhere. you just said was the attire. And I was thinking of the bride or the groom. And you, you go, no, Pooja was beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that. I, right. I, I, I shouldn't have been surprised. I wasn't surprised. But um, she was absolutely stunning. Uh, and, and one of the things I really enjoyed the nature of the attire got more and more formal over the course of the weekend. Oh, there was even like a very subtle shift between the ceremony Saturday morning mm-hmm. and the reception Saturday evening. Oh, interesting. Where, it, you know, sort of maybe lunch formal to evening mm-hmm. attire formal, um, like black tie on your tux to white tie on your tux Ooh. type of transition. Okay. Um, and it absolutely read. It was I'm really... i have to think about how I'm going to make this work <laughs> at your wedding. <laughs> well, it... Your mom and I were talking about it because she's unsure if she's going to wear a sari both nights, the sangi and the wedding, or if she's going to wear like linen slacks and a, a tunicky type top that kind of has an Indian vibe to it, but isn't... A mm-hmm. full Indian, and we're garden. gonna hopefully re- reduce the number of choices people make. Thank so you. There should only be two major wardrobe changes: okay. one for the night before the sangi, and then one for the ceremony okay, cool. reception, which will be closer together than, than okay. this wedding. Wow! 
I know. Are you wow. freaking out or are you just totally excited to dive into the actual execution of this wedding now? I'm starting to get psyched for that. Yeah. Is is and that's a that's the best question I've heard yet about it. It's 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 no longer fear or trepidation. It's going to be here in two and a half months. The parts are in place. It's just a matter of keep doing the work, make your next deadline, get the next email out and be there with a smile. I love it. Well, with that and with your excitement, I think that we should carry it over to some questions today. Sure, you're right. But there's so much to learn how to do. Sure, there's a lot to learn, but it's worth it. And learning is easy. One way is by watching others. On every episode of Awesome Etiquette, we take your questions on how to behave. This week, we're going to try to blast through as many of the short questions that we've received as possible. So this isn't a rapid-fire etiquette, but it's a question version of rapid-fire etiquette. I like it. We're merging. (laughs) We're merging. Shall we get started? Let's get started. Okay. Joyce wrote in to us with two questions. Her first one begins, Is it proper for an aunt or godmother and a grandmother to give a wedding party for their niece or granddaughter? The answer is that, yes, it used to be that close relatives didn't give showers or any kind of parties like this, especially ones that that had to do with gift giving. Often aunts, godmothers, grandmothers would do the, the bridal luncheon, that sort of a thing. But they wouldn't do parties where gifts were involved because it looked like they were kind of begging or grabbing for gifts from people. Um, nowadays, because of the way families live far apart or close together, it's just it's become easier and easier um, to see this as a really helpful and wonderful thing and not a grab for gifts. So nowadays, it's totally fine for um, family members that are close to the bride to actually throw her a shower or a gift party. Helps keep the tradition alive. Exactly. All right. Next question. Is it proper for the best friend of the bride to host a shower or party for the bride and groom, even if she isn't invited to the wedding? This one's a little less clear. It really depends on why she isn't invited and if she's okay with that. Usually, the bridal shower is a very small, intimate affair, and you wouldn't be a part of that unless you were also going to be going to the wedding. Absolutely. Number one rule. If you're not invited to the wedding, you don't get invited to the showers. Um, But there are examples where, for instance, an office might get together and throw a shower for the bride, even though the office isn't being invited to the wedding. Um, So I think that's it's unclear. So you need to figure out why hasn't she been invited? Is she okay with it? And is she asking to instead be able to be a part of it in some way by throwing a shower? If that's the case, I say go for it. If it's not the case, I say it's really strange that this question's coming up and don't go for it. Joyce, we really hope that helps answer your questions and have a fabulous wedding. Naomi would like to know, I invited my cousin and his wife to dinner. I suggested two dates that were one month ahead of when I extended the invitation. He responded that he would check with his wife. She was included in my message to them. The dates I suggested are fast approaching. I recently sent them a just checking in message and have not heard a response. How do I wait for their reply? What do I do? You know, this is a real bummer, Naomi, but basically you've done what you can aside from calling them up to make sure. I'm not sure when you say you've left a message or just checking in message. I don't know if that was a voicemail or if it was an email or text message. Um, with the the two latter, I would be a little worried that maybe they didn't go through. But um, I, I would find a way to get in touch if you can and, and actually speak with the person to get the message across. Um, but other than that, you've done what you can. It's up to you if you decide to try inviting them to dinner again sometime or if you just say, you know what? These people don't respond. I'm not going to invite. And that's perfectly okay if that's what it needs to be for the time being. I know we said we'd keep these short. I have a follow-up question I want to ask. 
<laughs> How do you feel about the language? I wasn't sure if you saw my uh, email checking in, and I'm Total, curious about totally your fine. reply. Totally fine. Okay. Totally fine to do something like that. Good suggestion, good add-on. Thank you. <laughs> Our next listener writes, I'm hosting a 70th birthday party for my husband. Is it bad manners to include no gifts, please, on the invitation? Is there a particularly polite way to phrase this? You know, that type of language is going to be fine for birthdays or anniversaries. You never want to make mention of gifts on a wedding invitation. But for something like a birthday or an anniversary party, no gifts, please. Just that language alone is really the only mention of gifts you ever want to make. And it's perfectly polite. Awesome etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, Mom's retelling of the events always brings a bit of joy. Just in time for Mother's Day, we here at Awesome Etiquette found the perfect gift that can capture all of your mom's stories for your family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your mom or a mother figure in your life for years to come. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. What was your first job? Who was your first crush? <laughs> StoryWorth makes the writing process a breeze. All your loved one needs to do is to respond to the email prompt with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. I did this with my mom and it was really, really rewarding. You'll be emailed a copy of your loved one's responses as they're submitted over the course of the year. You'll get to enjoy their retelling of the stories, some you probably already know, or maybe the ones that you're surprised by you haven't heard before. <laughs> After that year of fun discovery and reminiscing, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake hardcover book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. Story Worth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com manners. That's storyworth, S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash manners. It's manners with an S to save $10 on your first purchase. And now back to our show. Our next question comes from Lexi. She wants to know, a friend is getting married, and instead of doing the traditional registry for wedding gifts, the couple requests that attendees contribute to their honeymoon fund using an online forum. This is the only option. I think they should register for some gifts and have the honeymoon thing as an option, but not the sole option. I think it's a little tacky. Thoughts? It's it's fine what they've done. We are with you. We always suggest that people should have more than one type of registry option for gifts. Um, also, remember, guests don't have to get gifts from a registry or they don't have to contribute to a honeymoon fund. I will say, though, that because you're a guest and I'm assuming you're not the mother of the bride or something, I would not suggest this to them. I would not tell them that you think it's tacky. I would just keep it to yourself and know that for your own wedding or for people that you're advising about weddings that you would give that advice. And absolutely feel comfortable giving whatever you feel comfortable giving. As a gift for the wedding. 
Our next question. My grandparents raised me, and I consider them my parents, and they consider me their child. I talk to them on the phone every day. There is a generational gap, and they feel that I should write a thank you note to them every time they do anything for me. Recently, my grandmother sent me a $50 check for Valentine's Day. I called her to personally thank her, and I also sent her a text message. Do I also need to send a thank you card? You know, this is one of those cases where we're going to suggest that you just go ahead and send that thank you note. It's going to make your grandparents so happy. And, you know, it's not just going to make them happy. They've really requested it of you. They've made this uh, clear. They've made this really clear with you. So it's such a low bar (laughs) to to, to pass in order to to meet that standard that's really going to cement this relationship in a really positive way. So we're going to suggest that you go ahead and send that thank you note. Even though you've made the phone call, even though you've sent the text, um, this matters to them. And for that reason alone, it can matter to you. Right. And it's, you know, typically if you open the gift in person, that's where a verbal thank you is fine. But beyond that, if you didn't open the gift in person, you need to send a note. If you've already agreed upon with friends or family that a phone call is fine for a thank you, then run with that. But as Dan said, clearly your grandmother wishes for different. So respect her wishes. Elizabeth would like to know, if I send a save the date for my daughter's bat mitzvah and a cousin sends her regrets in advance due to her son's graduation, should I still send her an invitation? You know, there's no need to send her an invite, Elizabeth, unless she'd like one for sentimental keepsake reasons. And you can ask her that, but other than that, she already said no, so there's no no sense in wasting the paper and the postage. I couldn't agree more. (laughs) Have a great party. Our next question is from Yvonne. Are you supposed to put your return address on a thank you note in general? What about one to a new employer thanking them for hiring you? Absolutely. You're going to need to put a return address on that thank you note in order for the post office to accept it and take it where you want it to go. You don't necessarily need to write your whole address out inside the note in longhand, but um, you absolutely want it on the envelope. And speaking from the perspective of someone who saves a lot of thank you notes, those return addresses are so helpful. Yes. All right. Andrea would like to know, is it considered inappropriate to have a registry for a housewarming party? My boyfriend and I are in the process of purchasing our first home, and I intend on having a housewarming party, but I would rather avoid having five waffle makers. I have received mixed reviews on this topic, so I figured I would ask the pros. Thank you. Andrea, you actually don't register for housewarming parties, only for showers, for for baby showers and for wedding showers. Housewarmings aren't parties where where gifts are, are mandatory. It's nice, but people might also bring you baked goods. They might bring you something really simple. Um, we, we always suggest bring a gift to a housewarming party. What we don't suggest is that you register. Um, it's just one of those one of those fine lines. And so I would advise just be happy with all of those waffle makers that you may get and return the ones that you don't use, which might be all five of them. We'll cover regifting in a postscript at some <laughs> point in the, the near future. And I just before we leave, I know these are short, but I want to say thank you for having a housewarming party. It's such yes. a nice thing to do when you're new in a neighborhood. I never it's had a one. real opportunity to meet the neighbors. So really go forth and keep that tradition alive. And to have your friends warm the house with their presence. I mean, that's the point of the party. Such a nice thing. Awesome. Our next question is from an anonymous listener. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. When planning a wedding and inviting guests, how does one go about inviting adults only? Please don't hear me wrong. I have nothing against children. Many of my cousins and other family members have small children, but I don't necessarily know how I feel about young children being at the wedding, especially with out-of-town family members. I'm not even quite sure how that would work. Thank you so much. Sincerely, Anonymous. 
Well, Anonymous, first of all, it's absolutely okay to have a wedding where you decide not to have little children there. That is a valid decision to make. You might make it for all kinds of reasons, and you don't need to go into long explanations nope. about why you're making that choice. You do want to let people know as soon and as early as possible it's going to be part of the invitation itself. I'm going to. Yeah, the way you actually do that, though, is you never put it's not like gifts. Children aren't like gifts. You can't put no gifts, please. And you wouldn't do that on a, on a wedding invitation anyway. So you're not going to put no children, please, or adults only. There is absolutely no mention of this on the invitation itself. The way it gets indicated is that the outer and inner envelopes are only addressed to the parents or the adults. Mm-hmm. Um, you might have a cutoff where kids over 18 are invited. Um, it's also something that you want Spread word of mouth. And when you do, because it will happen, get reply cards with whole families written in or where can I, you know, have my kids that such those sorts of things. People will respond with that. You can say, no, you know, we we did have to make a decision and we made a decision not to have children at our wedding. Really great if you can provide a babysitter for those who have to travel from out of town um, so that you cover them and they don't have to worry about it, but their kids can still travel with them. Um, Also, yeah, also an option is to have that babysitter on site. So the kids actually aren't attending the reception, but they are traveling to the same places that their parents will be at. They'll just be at different areas and you can work that out with your event coordinator on the on the site. But that's really the best way to go and enjoy your wonderfully child free wedding. Our final short and quick question is a formal one. Do wedding invitations still require an inside envelope with the invitee's first name? While inner envelopes are lovely and are a fine tradition, they are not required. Yeah, they're super formal. <laughs> um, they definitely will take the whole formality level of your invitation Tell up a notch. Tell them where they came from. Tell them where they came from. So historically, <laughs> traditionally, the outer envelope just protected the very important inner envelope that had this beautiful engraved invitation. That would usually be delivered to you by your butler or someone who had received it at the door, and it's all gross on the outside from traveling in horse and buggy. Who knows where it's yeah. been? <laughs> so the inner envelope was pristine and pretty. And really nice. And the the tradition evolved over time to the point where you could really use that inner envelope to be more specific, to really clearly define who's actually invited to the wedding. So For example? It just arriving to a household or to a, maybe a particular individual, you might say inside that individual's name and guest. And that would let that person know they were welcome to bring somebody to the wedding. Or it might in the case of a family where in the future, when you have little little tiny Dans and Pujas running around, your invitation might say to uh, Mr. and Mrs. Senning on the outside, and the inner envelope may or may not list your children, which would indicate whether or not the children had been invited, or maybe if there's an age cap, it would be which children were invited because they were over a certain age and which were not because they are under. And we saw how important that type of specificity could be in our last question. So absolutely not required, but also a, an option and a fine option to really take that invitation to the next level. And a very cute addition to the inner envelope. It's a place where you can be less formal or, as we like to say, more endearing. So if you always call your grandmother, for instance, my grandmother is Granny Pat. Ironically, our grandmother on Dan's side of the family with me was called Mud. Um, <laughs> so the inner envelope for for instance, for my grandparents, had they been alive, would have maybe read Mud and Poppy, which is what we call them. Or it could have read just their first names, Libby and Bill Post. We hope that helps. And that's the end of our rapid fire etiquette question segment for the day. You hear that? She says you're not as rude as you used to be. 
What do you know? Thanks to everyone for sending in your questions. And remember, we love updates. If we answered your question on the show or if you have a comment about one of our questions, feel free to send it in. You can also submit your question to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or send it in via Facebook or Twitter. Just use the hashtag awesomeetiquette so that we know you want it on the show. Our postscript segment today contains an excerpt from The Rituals of Dinner by Margaret Visser on the debate or the history of, I should say, tines up and tines down. We'll warn you, I think it gives just a little kind of poke at American styles at the (laughs) end there, and Dan and I might talk about that at the end. But it begins, Eating in the English manners means that the fork, having just left off being an impaling instrument, must enter the mouth with the tines down if it is not to be awkwardly swiveled round in the left hand or less capable hand. Food must therefore be balanced on the back of the rounded tines. This has two advantages for polite behavior. First, a fork thus held encourages the mouth to take the food off it quickly and close the lips. It is quite difficult to push the fork with its humped tines far into the mouth. Weapons, and that's in quotes, should not be plunged into mouths. We now keep this rule faithfully, hardly needing it to be enunciated. The second advantage is that denying a modern fork its possible spoon-like use is wantonly perverse. It forces us to take small mouthfuls and to leave some of the food unliftable on the plate. It is difficult to get the food onto the fork and harder still to balance and raise it faultlessly. Managing to eat like this with grace is a triumph of practice and determination, and therefore an ideal mannerly accomplishment. I'm going to break from the quote and say, (laughs) debatable. (laughs) Definitely, we were not on the same page with practicality as Ms. Visser. Okay. Continuing. The former way of eating was not dislodged in North America as it was in the rest of the world. It has been suggested by James Dietz that the old way was more deeply entrenched in America because forks arrived there relatively late. According to this theory, Americans remained attached to eating with their spoons. They would cut food probably holding it still when necessary with their fingers or spoons, and then lift it in the spoon, first shifting it if necessary to the right hand up to their mouths. Forks imported from Europe were certainly used sometimes not only for impaling food but for transporting it to the mouth. Charles Dickens visited America in the early 1840s and witnessed eating with both knife and straight, long-pronged fork. He says in American Notes that people thrust the broad-bladed knives and two-pronged forks further down their throats than I ever saw the same weapons go before, except in the hands of a skilled juggler. But soon forks took their modern spoon-like form so that they could be treated after the spearing and cutting was done, as though they were spoons. Europeans, meanwhile, kept eating food impaled on the tines. And that's how the difference came to be, that you see lots of Europeans continuing to have it tines down, whereas Americans use it tines up. In the language, we sometimes use the the difference between the American and the continental style of dining. Another uh, 
major distinction between the two styles is the transition of the fork. In the the continental style of dining, that fork stays in the left hand, times down to bring the food to the mouth. And I love the description of the awkward turning over of the fork in the left hand, if it were to stay in that hand and go to a tines up position, because I've I've wondered about that particular maneuver. Because I do like this cross bridge of them, because I, I don't switch the hand over to the right hand, but I do do the swivel, and I never thought of it as being awkward or ungraceful or, you know, it was it was fascinating when I read this to think of and also to think of, I, I hit, as I mentioned in it, the practicality note of it where uh, yeah. to me it's the spoon part of it is it's a practicality. Why on earth would I waste food and leave it on the plate only because it's such a great showing no. off like, you know, sign that my gosh, aren't my manners so practiced? I can I can eat with my fork upside down. Well, so I, I definitely okay. Sorry. So I noticed no, that I'm, I'm, tone yeah. to the to the writing and the, this this idea of of, of an enjoyment of the artifice, an enjoyment yeah. of the the making of this a rarefied, difficult thing, and that being part of what elevates it. And I don't agree necessarily with that, but I no, because you and I weren't raised to agree with that no, part of etiquette. But so many yeah. of the specifics here, I absolutely agree. Like I really prefer the continental style, not because it's more refined, because I find it easier. You don't. Have I find to flip. less flopping and switching, and I also. Also, when I'm teaching, often mention to people that there's as much flat space on that fork, our, our modern spoony fork, about an inch on one Maybe. side as there is on Depending the other. Depending on how you hold it, because as you tilt yeah. a little, I can see that flat part that you're talking about. But when it's actually engaged with the plate, it's not no, there. It's much harder, it's, it's harder to get that to get angle. It. You're, you're right. The, the angle is a little harder, but there is that flat space. And I often tell people if you're using so much of the fork that you're shoveling the food into your mouth, maybe take smaller bites. And right. this idea here, I've never heard it put quite put, like, like this. Like that, I know, right? Of the idea that you don't want to be just dropping these Like a sword swallower. Yeah, I love that Dickens quote was awesome. <laughs> but for me, I, I definitely, when I'm using that fork and knife um, – after I'm finished cutting, I won't. I, I will keep the tines down if all I'm eating is that piece of meat. Mm-hmm. But if I'm trying to build a bite, which you often do, I do see you actually flip that fork up so that you have the meat that's speared on the end, and then you're building a bite on something that can hold the little bits of rice and maybe the the green bean or whatever it is a little more easily. Although for that bite building, and yeah. I I picture our grandfather doing this. I love the the use of that knife in the right hand as a pusher to be able to build that bite. Whether, totally. whether that fork whether it's is up tines or down. up or down. Yeah. I think so. laziness probably leaves that tines down for me more <laughs> often. <laughs> because you have to understand that while while we talk about table manners all the time, us posts are inherently fast eaters. We we shovel our food down. The biggest joke was that um, you know, Alan, my my oldest uh, uncle stories would <laughs> yeah, I know, right? He would he would be finished eating by the t- and going up for seconds by the time my grandmother was sitting down. Yeah. That it was we are we we like our food and we we get quiet and we eat it fast. <laughs> and we anyway, also love the ahead. rituals of dinner. We really As you do. can see, this book's an incredible book. It's an incredible resource if you're interested in the history of table oh, manners. Oh, it's or so the, much fun. Be warned, it starts out with cannibalism. We but... Well, it, it, and and the sacrament. Right. So it looks at the taboos and the the sacred around eating it's and fascinating and everything in between. Fascinating. So we hope to bring you more excellent quotes from it, and we hope that. Maybe you're a little influenced. Maybe you'll change. Maybe you'll enjoy further your tines up or tines down. Social courtesy does pay, doesn't it? 
Thanks. Each week, we like to end our show on a positive note by giving an etiquette salute to a person or organization that exhibits good etiquette and is out there making the world a nicer place for us all. Yay! This week's salute comes from Allison, who salutes her grandmother, Julia. Dear Lizzie and Daniel, you are some of my favorite dinner party download guests, and now your podcast is a highlight each week. I wanted to offer an awesome etiquette salute for your consideration. My grandmother, Julia, was one of the classiest ladies I've ever known, always making people feel comfortable and welcomed in her presence. She was also the thank you note monitor. (laughs) Whenever I'd share news of a gift I'd received from someone, she was quick to both appreciate the thought and ask me if I had said a thank you note yet. (laughs) That's cute. Our family was devastated to lose her very suddenly to cancer last spring. However, I had to chuckle when we were cleaning out her closets. In a drawer, I discovered an abundant supply of blank thank you notes that she must have kept on hand, as well as every thank you note she'd been sent over the last several years. It was so poignant to realize that she had kept every thank you she had received from me, my siblings, and my cousins, as well as people I had never heard of. I know that many are advocating a thank you text or email as a more eco-friendly way to express gratitude, but discovering my grandmother's cache of gratitude was such a wonderful moment in the midst of a difficult time. Realizing that she had appreciated all these notes enough to keep them made me resolve to always express gratitude the old-fashioned way. We never know what a note will mean to someone. That being said, allow me to ironically thank you via email for all you do. Keep up the great work, Allison. Oh, Allison, first, we are so sorry for your loss, but that is such a beautiful salute. Thank you so much for sending it in. It really is, and you are most welcome, and thank you, too. Well, now, wasn't that better? Look at the effect of a little politeness. That's our show for today. As always, thank you for listening and spending some of your day with us. We hope you have a wonderful, killer, awesome rest of your week. And don't forget, there's no show without you. So send us your questions, your etiquette salutes, and your suggestions to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can help make Awesome Etiquette more awesome. If you like what you hear, tweet it, Facebook post it, and of course, the mother of all awesome actions, subscribe on iTunes and leave us a review. On Facebook, we're the Emily Post Institute. On Twitter, I am at Lizzie A. Post. And I'm at Daniel underscore Post. Or you can visit our website, emilypost.com. Our theme music was composed and performed by Bob Wagner. <laughs>